15 minutes it is after 7 p.m. And uh, yeah, we go straight into our wrap of the top business stories. Nessa Pomanindra, independent market commentator, analyst and CA is my guest. And Snesipo, uh, good evening to you and welcome. And evening, Aya. How are you? Hey, yeah, I, think I, had it from that, I, think, I think I had it when I was coming back from Cape Town. No, man. So the NICD apparently has said, no, 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 no. That's uh, strength of, um, So, yeah, our water safe. Okay. All right. Yes. Thanks for that message, Snesipo. Uh, but, yeah, let's shift, I guess, uh, maybe staying on water, uh, to Ethiopia. That's where we start tonight. Uh, and I think many of our listeners would know about the tensions between... Uh, the uh, country in the sort of uh, horn of Africa, Ethiopia, and uh, their neighbors, Egypt and Sudan, uh, and the issues that have to do uh, with the, the uh, Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, uh, which has certainly been a bone of contention for the last decade or so uh, between those nations. But it seems now that, uh, yeah, it has started in earnest, this hydroelectric project to produce power. Uh, talk to me about some of the issues here, and I guess, uh, more importantly, whether or not it might lead to more harmony or conflict in that part of the world. Depends on who you speak to. So the project has been 10 years in the making. Just understand this amount. This project is due to uh, provide for 60% of the population. It is 5,150 megawatts. We literally would pray for that in South Africa. We are praying for that. It's insane. And the cost total of $5 billion. It's scheduled to finish in two years' time. They started the first phase of um, electricity generation. Mm. Um, it is, for me, a point of contention because of where it's located. Um, it's also, I think, a very big uh, bargaining chip in terms of uh, the Horn of Africa and the, the very conflict that, that has occurred. Yeah. And it does, so it, 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 depending on how you look at it, it is a both an improvement. Because for me, once you have power, you can open up, for me, the generation opens up quite a few opportunities. Definitely. However, you've got some, in some ways, you've got the Egyptians saying they condemn uh, Ethiopia for their violation of the agreement. You, you know, that conflict, it's just that that whole tripartite conflict. In one stage, I think we all agree that, for me, hydroelectricity, very good project, ticks all the ESG boxes that I love. Using a resource, it makes sense. However, that's also a bargaining chip. And you've also got situations where, you know how the, the dam was funded, was primarily funded by the by the Chinese, so you've got those mm. issues, mm. the Asian geopolitical, so it's, it's, it's just a mess. It's a mess. It's I mean, uh, there's another dynamic, I guess, to this. Um, and if I look at some of the remarks Abiy Ahmed, you know, made, uh, which were around, I guess, wanting to export some of this energy to some of their neighbors in the region, Kenya, and right through to places like Europe, and um, saying this could be mutually beneficial for Egypt as well. Um, and it seems... The Egyptian side isn't buying that. Why? Because they're upset in terms of the, the structure. So initially, so just just so um, initially in 2015, um, when they announced operation, um, they signed an agreement. The Egyptian Ministry of Foreign Affairs signed an agreement with the um, Ethiopian counterparts. Mm. 
um, it was a unilateral, it was, it was supposed to be a joint. It ended up being unilateral uh, by the Ethiopians. So initially it was supposed to be a joint project. And, you know, initially, and then the Ethiopians tried to do it themselves. And ultimately, also a bone of contention is that both um, Sudan and Egypt are dependent on the Nile for water resources as well. And this effectively dams it up. Yes. Sure, sure, sure. And by the way, the the Sudan and Egypt agreement, Ethiopia is not a party of that agreement. So it's like a mess, 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 mess. Hi, so let's leave that one for a second and uh, come back to South Africa um, and uh, take a look at, uh, I guess, um, the latest that came out of President Ramaphosa's, uh, you know, engagements out at the EU. Now, this was at the AU-EU summit. Uh, and a lot of this, I guess, around the intellectual property waivers for COVID-19 vaccines. It seems many of the developed countries and, of course, those who manufacture uh, COVID-19 vaccines in that part of the world, um, are making all manner of excuses here. So they're saying, no, it's not intellectual property. It's actually that you can't manufacture the stuff. But so what's happening here? Um, so ultimately, so, you know, oh, the general cupcake was there, is there in Europe at the forum. And he initially met with um, the Germans and they seemed to, after face-to-face meeting, they seemed amenable. But you know what? The writing needs to come through. I think we all agree. Fundamentally, if you look at the COVID map, it has now become a third world issue. You've got Oboros uh, talking about lifting restrictions forever. You and and it's becoming a third world issue. You've got new variants popping up every. Uh, I saw an article about a new variant, a cousin no, of no, no. Omni a cousin of Omni that is posted more deadly, and it's become a third-world issue. We need the recipe. This is, this is humanitarian. I don't know why it's taken, taken so long, because we have the facility to manufacture. They do not have enough capacity to manufacture for absolutely everyone. It's greed. They do not have, and that is just the word. But they they're, saying, not- support, they're saying the people that are making the most noise about this trip's waiver don't have capacity. Now, they, that, that's South Africa and India because I guess those are the people that have been making the most noise about this. Uh, when I look at that, that can't be true. At least of we all know for, for fact Indians it's not true. We know it's not true. India makes the, is the largest generic market in the entire world. We know that's true and there are a billion Indian people. So we know that's not true. Like, it, it's just, a, we know it's factually incorrect. We have the world's largest ARV program, and the stuff is manufactured next door. So to say that we don't have the capacity is, um, is a lie, because we know we do. This is one of, again, there are many things our government and our country can do well. Healthcare is one of them. Hey, the drugs themselves, not hospitals, the drugs. You know what I mean? But we also know... <laughs> Um, I guess, let's say, Paul, that, you know, a lot of the discussions there at this AU-EU summit are not only around this issue of vaccines, but we also know, I mean, according to the economic partnership agreements that uh, the EU would have, you know, with certain blocks on the continent, 
Um, I mean, and I guess the continent as a whole. Uh, surely those are also part of this discussion. That you know, if you want to renew the relationship between Europe and the continent, uh, the thorny issues are going to be this waiver around vaccine production, but also, I guess, the nature of those economic agreements. Yes, and that's the thing. It's for me, this is a new part of colonialism. The new era, because we saw with the um, the coffee issue yeah. uh, when we discussed the coffee issue a couple of weeks ago. These agreements are not done in the best interest of. They're not done in our best interest. They don't factor in our specific developmental context. But we need to sign these agreements to participate in the economy. That's also the, the most, the mind, the mind warpedness of it all. Because we need to participate in the agreements to have a seat on the table. But the seat on the table, we're being fed scraps. Because it, it literally, it's just, it, 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 I promise you, it frustrates me to no end. At some point in my life, I wanted to get into trade liberalization. And, yeah, you wanted you to get into that. Them, Why? Because it, I wanted to understand, but I wanted to argue that WTO was my one of my dreams. I was a young child. I had dreams. Yo, I WTO. And then when you started reading about it, you're like, I will, I will. And those agreements, this, they, they outlast any administration. Yeah, that's the thing. For me, that's, those are the real power plays. You know, we, we like to think of, um, I mean, these things even outlive like U.S. elections. They do. You know, so these are the real power we're plays still, the multilateral still, still, level. You know how long after recovered from that, uh, that very, that, that Obama chicken situation? How long? It, it We're still recovering. Remember, they, we were flooded by imports, but we had to take them because we signed an agreement with the U.S. in the time of Jacob Food. <laughs> like, and there's so many of these examples. Yeah. It's, like, it's think about it. It's quite simple. Why does the textile industry in Africa doesn't exist? Because we signed an agreement in the early 90s with the Chinese that allowed them to flood our markets with cheap imports. So the entire industry never recovered. That was in trouble big each time. <laughs> That was, that was time. That is just how far, Yo. that's what I hate about. Like I said, at some point, I used to want to argue these things. And, and it just it just, it just upsets you. It just upsets you because you realize how little bargaining power that yeah. we have. Africa is a mere rounding error. No, I, I, I think one of these days, what we need to do, and maybe here on, on Metro FM Talk, is to get hold of Siskole Lwamlumbi Peter, uh, one mm-hmm. of the South African trade negotiators who's been working quite closely on the Strips waiver story. Because in a sense, uh, I think for me, it's an interesting development that South Africa and India can effectively set the agenda in the middle of a global public health crisis, set the agenda. And, you know, the West can still come back, even Germany, you know, can still come back and say, I know we don't support this thing because you're going to deter future investment in some of these companies. Uh, that all have lobbyists that have lobbied those governments to a particular position. Um, and, and it's just, I mean, it's mind-boggling how in the face of that global public health crisis, people will put profits first and future profits uh, first. Um, and that's why we have these mutations. That's why we have, 
you know uh, omicron bene cousins zabo love you know mm. yeah and so yeah it just upsets me because for me they don't have the capacity even if they don't have it hi stasi maskesi shele electric vehicles now i guess the last time we spoke about shell on this platform it wasn't about good things i guess about the seismic survey on the wild coast and all of that. Uh but now a very interesting development here. Shell has repurposed a very old power station they have out in uh, uh in the UK, Fulham Road in London. Uh and yeah, it's sort of moved from just being a typical uh you know combustion engine fill up fuel station to now an electric vehicle place with coffee, with Wi-Fi. What's happening here? it's called a test case for future profits. So they converted uh, the old uh, gas station. Remember, these petrol firms have, they've got the infrastructure existing. It's just a conversion process. So if you look at what happens in the UK, in the UK, there are about 190,000 registered electric vehicles. And with just, and uh, 29,000 EV charging growth perspective. This is from a growth perspective. It's, mm. Although it's not from a small base, the opportunity is endless. So this is an easy way to test case. But I guess Your there's case. also a chicken and egg issue here, right? Yes. I mean, you, you probably have more electric vehicles in the UK than you have charging points. A lesson for us here, um, if we want to set up this on, or, or have adoption at a scale that I think a lot of people are talking to now, that you, know, you can't just leave to chance the fact of setting up charging stations and it it makes sense that one of the largest uh um steel companies would be the ones because they've got the existing infrastructure like i said they've got the ability to convert to electric charging uh units or to do a dual option having petrol and electric but they've got the scale already it's just the function of switching over They've got the scale. Once you're in the infrastructure, and they the and by the way, I believe they should be the one leading, because one of my issues with electric vehicles, my personal issue in Tlaxcala is that it's gone. Number one, two charging points. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't make any self-generation of Meleki is 100 megawatts. You're allowed to generate your own energy, so. create your own yeah. renewable power, yeah, solar project we'll or wind whatever yeah but it's still it's, it's still not it's still not at that scale i don't even think um it's not at that scale so once it gets to scale then because once you have the adoption what i think helped the adoption with diesel was was the availability of diesel once diesel is available it became a, it's now a preference where people want petrol or diesel it's a personal preference But, but what if Sinesipo, I mean you have a situation now Brent crude oil prices um if you listen to some people saying they're going to hit the 150 US dollar mark um and you introduce this charging at much much cheaper rates I mean surely that would might also drive adoption Yes but it's it's not just about being cheaper it's about it being accessible it's not enough it's being guess, cheaper uh, the convenience It's accessibility. Once you can, the nearest petrol station to my house is one kilometer. If there's a little charging point that's also one kilometer, it becomes, it, now the cheapness starts playing a factor. But if I have to go look and my my poor, my poor car is at 0% power, 
um, stuck in the middle of the road. I, it, 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 you know, it's those type of things that you can say. But once you allow, it's not just the cost factor, it's the ability to be accessible. Mm. As I say, it needs to move to the same level of diesel where it is a preference. Petrol and diesel right now, we both know it's a preference. I know people who only love diesel-only cars. They can't give me a logical reason why they only love diesel cars, but it's a preference. And that now needs to be with electric vehicles. And for me, it's not just the charging points. Like, I hear all these things about how impressive Tesla is, and I'm like, where are the charging points? I'm with you in the car, but unless it becomes accessible to me, I'm not participating in this. Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, all of these carry with them lessons um, that you're not going to get the scale of adoption that might make production of the stuff worthwhile. And I think that's also a big challenge for our automotive sector. I mean, uh, I think the, you know, Gauteng government had its SOPA today and talking a lot about the Tswane SEZ and automotive component manufacturers there. And I often wonder what's going to happen to them. I mean, the moment you shift from, say, 5,000 components in a combustion engine to, like, 150 in an electric vehicle. What then happens to all of those producers? Yeah, and, 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 and that's a real thing. And that and that's also the thing, guys, this is my issue. Yes, Abantu, when they talk about this adoption and they don't think about, they don't think about, um, they don't think about the industries they've left behind. There's no plan B. That's my issue with Abantu. So, I, I hear what uh, they were saying, but they don't think about Plan B. Yeah, somebody's got to carry those transitional costs, as people say. Maybe a last one here, Stesipo. I always find analyses of this company very interesting. Former parastatal or state-owned entity, uh, Asasol, very much at the center of the South African Minerals Energy Complex, uh, mining coal, and I guess you're making that into synthetic fuels been doing it for years uh, and I guess uh, yeah quite buoyant now on the back of much much better fuel prices uh, fuel prices but our fuel prices have helped quite a bit but I think for us I think we need to do a deeper delve because I was looking at the results yeah. and and for me these are things that people are missing they had a reversal of impairments of 1.4 billion they had a 4.9 wait, so, so wait, wait wait just in, in, in English what's that so an impairment is basically a write-off. So they reversed that so it became an income. It became earnings. So wait, you write it off in one year, maybe say then, after Lake Charles when things were bad, and uh, then when you rewrite it into your books, you write it as income. Yes, reverse of impairment. allowed, I vote on that 4.9 billion of... Uh, ah, guys, you accountants, I fiction. You fiction, guys. Uh-uh. Because scale gets, scale gets. So they had also some losses on uh, valuation of financial instruments. But so if you look at the EBIT of um, was 24 below, though it increased by 12%, there were quite a few non-cash items. That's what was very important. But if you adjust for it, it's prior. It looks a bit, yeah. But, but okay, Snessa, but let's, let's take these in turn, right? Uh, the fuels business. If you look at that earnings number at the end of 2020, 31 December 2020, um, mm. shooting up from like 1.4 billion to um, in the same period a year later, 5.7 billion. Uh, the same with the gas business from around 4.1 billion to around 7.6 billion. Um, I mean, when you look at that, surely there is some rebound and a big part of that rebound 
has to do with the prices at which some of the stuff is sold. Um, I mean, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes, I agree. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that. I'm just pointing out that when we look at results, we have to look at them in totality. Okay. So yes, you've got the benefits of mining gas fuels and even chemicals had a very good chemicals doubled its performance. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And again, on the game, the back of high oil prices. So we also have to look at where the oil price was a calendar year ago versus which sure, one now. Sure. At three, four, five times. Then the other things, Lisa, I wanted to talk about Secunda. Uh, now we know a big part of this coal to fuel story happens in that part of the world. The mines are there. You know, the plants that make the fuels uh, from coal are there. Uh, and there's been a, some issues there, not only insofar as safety issues are concerned, but also the quality of the coal that's coming in. Um, just what do you make of that? Oh, well, Secunda, Secunda, remember... Remember part of the reason, and remember part of the reason why Sasso made the initial management uh, decision to move to Lake Charles was mm. because of they wanted to remove their reliance on Zakunda, and they could sure. see that the, it, they were getting towards the end of their useful life. So part of um, the realization was that they needed to, and Zakunda has been on this path. Besides the quality of coal, the grade of coal that they, they have there, there's also, sorry, there also is issues, and I think primarily on environmental, as you know, Sasso is a top two polluter. Yeah. You've got those issues as well. So it's, 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 it, 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 yeah. So I think there, there, there's one of two situations that's going to happen in my head. Some of other going there, I think they'd be looking to sell Secunda. But anyone who buys it inherits the mint. Because I don't see them spending the money to upgrade the facility. Who would you sell Secunda to? Mm, so because becomes, that, I mean, the, sorry, maybe just a lay, lay person's question here. Secunda's intimately tied, I guess, to some of the mines, right? So, so who, what, yeah. what would happen? Would you sell the mine off first, then sell the facility? How would that work? Um, besides structure, I think they would look to sell it to a local player and claim and get the PR from localization. Meanwhile, they're handing someone else um, a dead asset. Yeah. Yes. Ish. Yeah. And then, I mean, just after Lake Charles, I guess, you know, a lot of the analyses when Asnesipo has been focused on the rebound here and that story, you know, this kind of rising, you know, like a phoenix from the ashes type story for Sasol. I think around the Lake Charles issue, a lot of people were already seeing terminal time T uh, for Sasol, and, it, and a lot of people are talking up the, the rebound. If you were to extract just the favorable oil price from the story, I mean, what do we have here? Think about the debt profile. Um, so debt come down. Yeah. They they got a JV partner for Lake Charles, which what they should have done from day one, but as it collapsed, sure. I think it was too big for me. So. If you see where that is and you're on the infancy of it, yeah, like I said, the design flow of Lake Charles is impressive. It's actually impressive. Um, and, you know, it, I can see where the growth is coming from. Um, for me, the fact that the headroom, liquidity headroom has, has, has increased and they've got an ability, it's a dead profile. I think that was the biggest scaring point. But with the debt profile coming down nicely, 
Now we're almost at 50%. There was 59% debt. Where it is now probably about with because oil prices peaked even more, it's going to it's, it's going to come down even further. Mm. And you've already spent all your money, so it's you already spent you've already done the big capex, so you're just going to be printing money. Yeah, going forward. So yeah, you've taken the hit. Yeah, I see where it's going. I honestly see where it's going. I see the positivity quite a bit. Okay, sensible. We're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. That there was Nessipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst in CA. And I guess just on that Sassol story, I mean, uh, just looking at the 10-year price of coal here, and uh, which might incentivize many a coal miner to export at uh, these favorable prices. And uh, I guess the same issues we often see at ESCOM about the quality of coal, I think are same, similar issues faced at Sassol, uh, which shows, I guess, how much of our energy and fuel needs um, in the South African economy have been built around those two entities. We take this brief break now. On the other side, yeah, we talk about July 2021 and uh, the hearings by the Human Rights Commission come to Joburg.